this one moment or this one experience or this one day or sentence um, or meal or holiday that we weren't able to celebrate or honor is not like the totality of the parenting experiences. Welcome to Think of the Children, a podcast at the intersection of parenting and education. I'm Emily Popek, and this week I'm thrilled to bring you an interview with Masha Rumer, author of Parenting with an Accent, How Immigrants Honor Their Heritage, Navigate Setbacks, and Chart Paths for Their Children. You can find the links from today's episode at emilypopek.com, that's P-O-P-E-K. And now, here's my conversation with Masha. Um, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about yourself and your book. And also tell me about how your book came to be. I would I always love hearing book stories. Sure. I um, was born in uh, Leningrad in uh, now called St. Petersburg, which at the time was the Soviet Union. But I moved. Um, I was a refugee. I moved with my family uh, to the United States when I was 13. So I basically grew up here, became a young adult. And um, my husband is American. I now have two kids uh, who are six and eight years old. The idea for this book started, um, it really started when I first became a parent. I mean, I've, I've lived here like most of my life. You know, I have American friends, I have Russian friends, I have other immigrant friends that I socialize with. You know, my husband is American, so we speak English to each other. He doesn't speak Russian except for like, you know, soup or a cup, couple of swear words here and there, <laughs> or like food items. But uh, suddenly when I had my daughter, my first child, I, it was like a culture shock all over again. For some reason, I like had this longing from my home, which doesn't even exist because, you know, the Soviet Union doesn't exist, which is good. You know, my city was renamed. So there was a sense of homelessness, but I was really longing for it. I was really missing those dishes, those songs and music. I would be like like an emotional mess whenever I'd see cartoons with my daughter from my childhood. And I really wished I could share some of that with her. Um, but at the same time, she was growing up in a very American environment and an American or like, you know, multi bicultural home. Home. And I started suddenly speaking to her in Russian as well, because I just English just didn't feel right. And I'm not I wouldn't say I'm the kind of parent who like spent a super like, you know, time thinking about how what kind of parent I'm going to be or making these lists. But suddenly Russian was like the way to do it. So there was a sense of nostalgia and longing. And it's also I know it's a very common thing for for a lot of parents There's um, this really great book I just read uh, by Julie Vick. If babies don't make small talk, why should I? It's about introverted parents. And it's, it's just really funny. Um, it just talks about being a parent when you're introverted. But it's not just about introverts. It's, she also has this great section where she talks about you could be an extrovert or you could, be, you could also be a little shy or you could be very empathetic or like socially awkward. And so all of this kind of comes in when you have all these languages and cultures to balance. And I decided to write a book. Um, actually, first I decided to do a bunch of different articles. So I would like write about, you know, if you're feeling socially awkward when you go to a mom's group with like 20 strangers there and you expect it to become BFFs with them all, which is how our, um, I guess, social media would have us believe, which is absolutely not right. Not true, right? It doesn't happen that way. You know, what foods do I feed her? Like what books do I read? Especially if some of the books I grew up were like really gory um, and scary. And a lot of them had this propaganda. Like, which parts do I skip? Like, what do I keep? Like, so all that came up. So I started doing articles, um, publishing them. And then one day my husband got me uh, for Valentine's Day, a class at uh, the San Francisco Grotto about your doing a proposal for a nonfiction book. So I was like, I can't go because we have a child's birthday party we were invited to with the bouncy houses. 
and like free pizza and cake, I'm definitely going there. Like what kind of mother would I be if I didn't? And by the way, I'd be like a totally fine mother if I didn't go. <laughs> There's like the mother guilt all over again, which is I think doubled when you're an immigrant parent because you feel guilty in like both languages at once. So he's like, no, no, you should go. So I went and when I came back, I had this idea for the book in mind. I, like, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I wrote out the chapters like at night from my day job, like that, that week. Um, and then I started publishing a bit more strategically, started looking at you know, the proposal, started looking for an agent and, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. That's Thank great. You. I, I, you know, I like to hear success stories because I'm working on a book proposal and oh, hope that, fingers. yeah, I hope that someday I will be able to tell that story too. So it's always like, look, this person, they did it. And it's so interesting to me, and I don't in any way, by saying this, want to minimize the distinct experience of being an immigrant parent, but I was struck by how much I could relate to a lot of the things you were describing about that complicated nostalgia, right, of our own childhoods and the artifacts from our childhoods that we don't know if they're appropriate for our kids in this day and age. That stuff is tough. I mean, it's such a personal experience that builds our identity, builds our memories. Like, for example, when I go back to the Midwest with my husband, we every time we go back to visit his family, he always drives by this house where he grew up, even though it's like not in the nice part of town and like somebody else lives there. And I often I'm like, hey, why don't you just knock and come in? And like, maybe they'll let you like inside. He's like, no, I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, at least you have a house <laughs> you can go back to. I don't know if mine still exists. I think actually it does. I saw it in, in Google Street View now, which is really weird. But but definitely, I mean, this it's, it's a universal feeling. Right, but it's universal, but it's also deeply personal, right? And individual yeah. and yeah. not, I don't know. I think sometimes it can be lonely because it's probably hard for your husband even to articulate to you like what it feels like to drive by the house today right? Or for you to articulate to him or to your children, this, you know, this boring old picture book that you remember from being a kid, it's hard to, uh, you know, to convey those feelings sometimes of of what it means. Yeah. What, uh, you know, you talked about kind of that this is not just about, that this is about an immigrant experience, but it's also about, you know, other things about like, how do you navigate that parent group? Um, how do you know what to, what foods to feed your child, right? Things like that. What do you hope, um, what do you want to give to your readers? What do you hope people will get out of the experience of reading your book? Um, that is a, a really great question. And I thought about it myself um, a lot. And actually I didn't, I had um, like an offer of representation by an agent who wanted me to like make it an advice book. And I was like, I'm sorry, I just, I just can't do that. So this is, first of all, it's not an advice book in the sense that um, I share my own personal stories, but I don't give advice because I, I obviously don't believe there's one way to, you know, to be a parent or to be an immigrant. It's such an individual personal thing. Um, at the same time, it's based on like more than 60 different interviews that I've conducted over the last few years um, with immigrant parents, uh, with a couple of children of immigrants. And actually not everybody's even a parent because I mean, it talks a lot of, about like acculturation and being just feeling discriminated against and just finding a tribe. So not everybody's a parent, not everybody I spoke to is even has a partner. Um, also, there is there are, however, interviews with experts in uh, like uh, speech language pathology or people who study bilingualism and um, cross-cultural psychology and sociology. And I've, I've also read a lot of texts um, about those topics. So there is 
advice um, that I present and sometimes different types um, that people have shared with me that worked for them or like best practices in those fields from the practitioners that could help parents, um, you know, in the way they think about bilingualism or sharing their heritage or like, oh, you know, I feel like I should be quote unquote assimilated, but I don't feel that way. And that's like perfectly fine too. But overall, aside from those bits of advice that are interwoven into the narrative, um, I just hoped it would be like a nice book to, to commiserate with. I wrote it because I wish there was something like this for me. When I was a parent, I was like, I was, like I mentioned, I was feeling very nostalgic and a little lonely as well, but also very confused and alone, I guess I would say. Um, and it's not until I started talking to other parents about some of these personal problems like my child is not really excited about learning my language or if he asked me for for like like a lot of candy in my native language in Russian which means I'm going to give it to him right away because at least it's in my language or is like watching a lot of tv like in my language like considered educational well, of course it is <laughs> right so all of these questions and, and like also parenting advice like maybe there's some outrageous advice from like our ancestors and from other countries, like how do you take that? So a lot of it is, I just hope somebody would be able to commiserate with, maybe find funny or just relatable and not feel so alone because it's so easy to feel different when you're an immigrant, you know, and I just want this to be like an affirming experience that no, there are so many of us. I mean, everybody I think feels different and out of place no matter where they're from. Sometimes immigrants have an extra layer of like complexity added to it just because we're balancing these different cultures and like shape shift no matter where we are or depending on where we are. So I hope it would be like an affirming, like a compassionate way they can look at themselves and their experience. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love that. I would love to hear more about uh, your perspective on some parenting questions. These are versions of these questions I've asked almost everyone I've interviewed because these are the these are the questions I want to ask everyone. If I could just spend my whole day asking parents these things, this is what I would do, <laughs> but I only get to do it like once a month. So um, you already told me that you are parenting with a partner and your kids right now are six and eight. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, uh, first of all, when you are working, where are your kids? So usually, well, now they're going back to school, but they weren't when I did a large chunk of the book. I mean, the book took four years, but my manuscript was a large portion of my manuscript was completed uh, during the lockdown uh, that affected all of us. So I was writing, I think at night, like my partner would finish his work, well, supposedly like at four or 5 p.m., which of course sometimes would extend into six or later. And then I would do the night, like I would be with the children doing homeschooling and then um I'd, I'd write at night and also on weekends like in the closet sometimes in the bathroom locking myself up in the bedroom although that was also the office so that was kind of tricky yeah so that but now they're back in school for the for the most part except so so that means that I always try to emphasize this point because I think it's important to keep this in our conversation that means that all work has to fit into the school day basically, right? Or most work has to fit into the school day. Most work, but it really never does. Um, I used to teach um, college for a number of years um, full time. And so it's like the work day never really ends because you're always thinking of a syllabi you can design or like, did, did this really sound weird? Was this plagiarized or not? Or like, oh, I should really integrate this into the curriculum. And of course, the grading essays, especially if it's English essays. So like the work never really ended. 
And I was always really jealous of people who are like, okay, I'm clocking out. It's 5 p.m. Going home now. I, mean, I don't think it's common for a lot of us because our work life is like completely intermingled with COVID. So there's no boundary. But yeah, but the writing, I feel there's also no boundary because um, I continued to, when I was working on my manuscript and now, you know, the publicity and marketing, a lot of it happens like around the clock, you know, I conducted interviews like whenever people could do it, even like, you know, on weekends at nights, or if it was a different time zone. So it, it's, it's around the clock <laughs> basically. Right. As I mean, as it is, I think, as you said, for so many of us, it doesn't fit. I have yet to interview someone who says, Oh yes, I can get all my work done during those hours that my children are at school and none of it has to happen in the early morning or late at night. Or while the kid, like during those 20 minutes while the kids are watching some show or using their, no, like everyone, you know, I think for so many of us, it ends up spilling over in all the ways that you've just described. Of um, course. And naps, like it's, it's like my favorite is nap when the baby naps. Like, well, first of all, a lot of times, like in my case, babies don't nap, right? Or they nap and put like five minutes and then they're frustrated that they weren't able to nap. And then they try to like calm them down. So they go back nap again and then like it's time to feed them so it's it's just never ending so yeah it's never it's never so linear but I feel like I mean even before COVID as, as parents we just become so agile and so I just the ability to we're just able to multitask and I feel like we just take we're able to like learn to take advantage of the little breaks we have be it outside the preschool pickup line or like um in the car or I don't know, in these like really odd hours in the early morning or late at night, I feel like so much work can be done in a much shorter time and a lot more efficiently just because we're aware um, of the time constraints upon us and just like switch back and forth. Um, so that's been something I've learned to do even as a parent um, before the book. And it's, I never realized this is like one of the parenting superpowers. Yeah, for sure. Is It's a superpower, but it's super exhausting too. Oh right? my God. Like it's to, so exhausting to be like, I, I feel um, like this weekend, my daughter went to a friend's and my husband went into work. He's self-employed. So he'll go and, you know, he went into his shop and put in a couple hours of work. And so they both have the house at the same time. I, I have one child. So I was the only person in the house for like two hours. And uh, which like since COVID has just become this like extremely rare event. Right. Yeah. And, but, and it's like this feeling of like excitement, but also panic of like, yeah. oh my God, like, what can I get? What can I do in two hours? How do I use this two hours? Like, how do I maximize this time? Like to the greatest extent possible. And of course, like, you know, you never really can, like you want to, there's a million things you want to do, but yeah, you're right. It's like that, that switch like flips in your mind where you're like, okay, like how can I fill in this time? this little scrap of time that I have in the, in the best way. Um, oh, it's so hard. Yeah. And just to reflect on that, it's like, because you never feel like you've done enough and it's always like a trade-off, right? Like if you are, if you're working in the kitchen and that's your office, especially nowadays, like then you're looking at all this mess on the counter and in the sink. But if you go take care of that, um, you're not doing your work. Um, and if you're doing your work, then oh, you like abandoned, you know, the kitchen things that need to be done. So it's it's just it's just never ending. And in the case of bilingualism, like where if you are trying to teach your kid your language or have them practice it, it's all about time. So that's another added layer um, right there. The more time is spent, the child spends talking in a language and being exposed to a language, like the more they'll learn it. 
Um, so in addition to English, there's a time that needs to be spent in the other language. And that's, you know, that's a conundrum as well. Managing all those duties and tasks um, and trying to feel, you know, like <laughs> feel like, like you can check them off. And I'm not sure that the check really ever happens. That's what I was just thinking. I was just thinking it's like, that's got to be one more thing if it were me. That like when I was trying to fall asleep at night, I'd be like, oh God. And like my kid didn't even spend any time speaking in the other language today. Like one more way that I didn't do all the things <laughs> in a given day, right? Like, cause there's, there's always more things you could be doing as, as a, as a parent. That's how I feel anyway. Sure. And especially the mothers, like with the mental load, I mean, not always mothers, it depends on the type of a couple, but like the, the mental load is huge. So, so this may segue into my next question for you, like thinking specifically about like, this particular time in your life, like this season in your child's lives, in your family's life, what is something that's challenging for you right now about being a parent? Well, definitely the universal issue of, you know, COVID. What else is challenging is, I think it's all the same things that, that were before. How do I, how, how do I make sure that they're safe and secure and well-fed and speak the language, but at the same time, is it, the, the well-fed with the food of their ancestors or like frozen dinos in the freezer, which obviously happens a lot as well, right? Um, it's not always these homemade soups that my grandmother would approve of, you know, exposure to the language and having spent so much time at home with them, um, even if I was working, that helped them get the exposure to my native language a little bit more. So I guess that was like a silver lining in a way. I know a lot of parents were multilingual have had a similar experience that they were able to speak in their native language a little bit more but then again the pressure was on them to pass the language down to their children and that's just that's a lot of pressure and it's always a very it's a very hard task in many ways especially they are not able to take classes or speak to other friends in that language or like socialize outside of the home for a long time part of the book also and part of what I'm always trying to think about is it's not just how to be a like a good enough parent, right? Not even a perfect parent. I don't think that exists, but a good enough parent, but also how do we take care of ourselves? Especially when I think just about everybody's struggling with something during the last two years. But in general, um, in my case, as a result of this book, I've learned to feel a little bit less guilty uh, because of that added guilt of like, well, am I enough of this good immigrant daughter um, or... Um, am I teaching them my heritage? Am I um, helping them integrate into the American society? Do I feel American enough? Am I like checking off all the holidays, um, you know, from my heritage, um, two types of holidays and from my husband's heritage, um, the, the, the non-religious holidays, at least, like, how do I find time to do all of that? And if my child is not really wanting to speak the language, like, for example, when my daughter was two or around that time, she she didn't like she refused to speak Russian and for a long time I was like oh it's my fault I did something wrong but then I realized you know that's just the phase and the more I read about it the more I realized it is a phase and there are reasons for it and this is what I could do which is like let her be <laughs> for a little bit because I can't convince her to speak it same with my son at that approximate that age and then things were okay later so I think I, I just learned to chill out and to try to take care of myself as much as possible and be like you know this is this one moment or this one experience or this one day or sentence um, or meal or holiday that we weren't able to celebrate or honor is not like the totality of the parenting experiences. Um, there are so many moments in life where we do do the things that we want to do 
and impart ourselves and our children with the things that we wish. Um, we just have to be easier on ourselves. And I think that children pick that up, especially when we're talking about heritage and language preservation, because they pick up on attitudes so much. So that's that was like, I think, one of my lessons and something I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah, I love what you said about, you know, it's not that one moment or that one meal, or that one holiday, you know, like we can't put so much pressure on those individual um, interactions or experiences with our kids. It's that long, taking that longer view can be so much more, so encouraging as a parent to realize that it's the sum total, right? It's not that one thing I did or didn't say today. It's over the course of time. I remember when my daughter was little and I was worried about what she was or wasn't eating. I don't even remember how old she was, but still quite small, you know, maybe just starting on solids or something like that when everything felt very like concerning about nutrition and everything. And I remember her telling me, don't worry about the meal. Don't worry about the day. Don't worry about the week. She said, think about a balanced diet over the course of a month or longer. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that really blew my mind. Cause I'd been very focused on like, what did she have for breakfast today? You know, and hearing the pediatrician take that long view with me and say, it's really about what happens over time. I was like, oh, okay. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, a relief. That is such a good advice. I remember that phase. I had like this color-coded Excel chart. I'm <laughs> like, okay, we tried avocado four days in a row, like smiley face for each one. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is, I mean, it's, it's nice, but it's, it's just exhausting. And it doesn't, it, and there's just so much anxiety that comes with it as well. Right. Like if, if you were like, if we're able to just like kind of step back a little bit and look at the overall like time period and the intentions and um, the progress, even if it's small progress, like definitely nutrition, and you know other other things as well like that there's just so much to celebrate i think those finding those moments to celebrate the wins is just so important like especially nowadays and there's always something to celebrate but it doesn't always seem that way but there's so much um and i feel like even having written the book like i talked to a lot of parents who have this guilt like whether they're speaking their native languages or often going to back to visit their their home country often or not, or if they're, you know, they have a partner who speaks the same language, like there's always that bit of like worry. Am I doing enough? Am I a good enough parent? Like we think that like once we, you know, get married or partnered or have a child or adopt a child, like, oh, you know, the the family members are going to just like step back and be like, okay, fine. (laughs) We're not going to be asked about this at every holiday. Like we're okay now, right? Um, like Thanksgiving is going to be pretty peaceful um, and not like stress-inducing. But no, there's this always somebody's cousin who speaks the language better. Like somebody's doing gymnastics like five days a week, um, and you hear those stories. So there's it's it. But I think it's important to try to like take that in stride and um, not get affected by that so much. But just remember what we're doing and our intention, and just like these are just kids, and we're doing the best we can. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard though. for all oh, of us, It's so hard. So I know, I feel like this question is probably, I was going to say you could write a whole book about it because you probably did. But my question is, and you can take this any way you want, um, compared to the household you grew up in, I'd love for you to talk about something that you are doing differently as a parent compared with what was done in your family of origin. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. <laughs> There's a lot there, right? A what, lot. What came to mind for you when I, when you heard me ask that, like, what's, what, what's at the top of your mind when you think about some of those differences of, of the, 
and I, and I'm not talking about environmental, right. But like yeah. the actual, um, you know, the, the manner in which you're choosing to parent your children is what I'm trying to, to get at with this. Sure. Sure. Although I could say a lot about like Lennon and how we no longer celebrate his birthday and like deify him. <laughs> Um, the communist leader, Lenin, not, not John Lennon. Um, and again, this, this is when I became a parent. On the one hand, what came to mind is like, how do I wish I could parent in a similar way? And how do I not wish I could parent in a similar way? I think it's, it's something that comes up to people, with people when they grew up in an immigrant home. There's actually research on this. A lot of times we feel like we will do things very differently. Maybe we'll be less you know, like not force our children to eat when they don't want to eat. Um, obviously, in a lot of cultures, um, it's considered okay to like hit our child's a child. And that's something obviously like I, I mean, there's research shows that it only leads to aggression, depression, anxiety, like behavioral problems. So absolutely none of that. But and I, I know in a lot of traditional cultures, um, uh, corporal punishment is considered okay. So that's like not, not something that I consider okay in any way. But at the same time, there were things that people grew up around a lot of times for, like I mentioned, you know, worrying about the, the child being fed enough or, you know, warm enough or learning enough. Um, I think a lot of it very, is very survival based or honoring the relatives and the elders enough. And that's something I wasn't necessarily aware of, but it's something I've learned to do um, as a new parent. And there's the studies. Um, there are studies about this. There's a sociologist, Nancy Foner, who writes that uh, maybe uh, children of immigrants may disavow the way they brought up, but when they become parents themselves, they suddenly realize they're adapting those behaviors. And that's something that happened to me in many ways, like especially like related to feeding. Um, I guess I'm always freaking out about my children being cold. Um, so I'm like, they're wearing slippers in the house and like multiple layers of clothing, even in the summer. Um, that's just some of those things, but, and I guess also, I guess being aware of their community, um, and doing, I wouldn't say like, I'm not going to call it volunteer work, but at least being aware of, um, others around them, because I grew up in a very tightly knit community where, I mean, people were like packed in with each other because it was a big city, but also like individuality was not necessarily prized. I guess you were always aware of a group and you were part of a community. And that's something that I liked, but the negative aspect of that is people are like in your space a lot you're shamed a lot in my culture for example compared to others um and not just like shamed by your parents oh why did you get a b plus when you could have gotten an a <laughs> b plus again um but um for example i remember when i was growing up i would be like walking down the street and a friend with a friend of mine who had blonde hair like dirty blonde hair and some grandma would like stop her and be like why did you bleach your hair this way it looks awful and we had no idea who she was. And my friend's like, well, that's my natural hair color. Um, or people could come to you and like say, you're talking too loudly or, uh, you know, shame mothers because their babies are crying in public. So on the one hand, like a person would rush to help a mother of a child is crying, but on the other hand, um, they could be shamed very much for that. So the shame part, I'm definitely doing away with. That's something that I did not um, want to have in my child's, my children's upbringing. And so try not to do that even though that's something I grew up around in my community in the former Soviet Union. I wonder, yeah, that's interesting because I know for me as a parent, I, one thing I struggle with, even with those models that I don't want to replicate for my child, um, I sometimes still react 
I'll give you an example. Um, like table manners were a big deal when I was growing up, uh, like not sort of transgressing at the table. And I don't like I don't feel strongly about those things in my mind. But when my daughter does things that I would have gotten in trouble for, it stresses me out. So I don't yes. know if you do you ever experience that? Do you know what I mean? Like absolutely. This I, I love the way you described it because it definitely comes up and like. And then my head, I'm like, okay, why am I feeling stressed? Or I think I remember there was a moment when I first became a mom and I, I don't remember what, what my child did. Maybe it was like some kind of like hit somebody or bit somebody or some potty accident. I don't remember. But instead of taking her aside and like saying it very quietly, like I think I said it more loudly because I was worried what people might think. I wasn't like, you know, excoriating her or judging her, but I wasn't aware of the fact that I'm saying it so that others can hear. And I was obsessing over that. Like, I think I still do. Like, how could I say this? How could I say something that may have sounded like shame? Even though she doesn't remember it, she was just a baby. I didn't even say it loudly at all. It just seems that way to me. But I was like, oh my gosh, am I doing this thing that I hated so much where people were in your business and, you know, making it feel insignificant and shaming you, even though it may have been done in the spirit of like collaboration or community. So that's something I, I remember I did once um, that still like haunts me to this day. But I, I know like the table manners is a big one. Um, not wearing shoes in the house. I'm like, like you're going to get cold. How can you like not wear shoes? And, and it's like July. So I'm like, okay, Masha, just relax. It's going to be fine. And things like that. It's, it's funny to me because I'm remembering my grandmother who like the famous quote from her was, I'm cold, put on a sweater. That's what she would say <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> and she, you know, berating her husband constantly. Uh, yeah. You know, whatever he was doing, it wasn't right. I wonder how much of her direction to him was influenced by, right? Whatever she would yeah. have been being told by her family of origin, right? It's so, you know, it's just funny how these things stay with us, kind of whether we want them or not in certain ways. It's super subconscious. And that's one of the things that really surprised me when I became a mom is that like a lot of it just started coming up for me and I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of in those behaviors that I thought were like gone, but they were actually just latent. And I think it's true in like older generations in America, especially, you know, immigrant generations is if you like, you're not supposed to compliment your child or you spoil, you will spoil them. Um, in my case, it's like, I definitely grew up in it. Like people didn't say like that, like the, like a person does not say like, I love you to the child. That's considered weird. You show it with your actions and with how you're like trying to get food on the table if food is not available, right? Or keep them safe. But people don't express feelings and say, oh, you did this great. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Let me put this like participation trophy on the wall because words, words are not where it's at. But I'm also making an effort to like, I think I over compliment them and I tell them that I love them all the time and like always celebrate their wins and try to encourage them. Just tell them like, you know, they don't even have to like do something to be loved. They're just loved for the fact that they are. I was just thinking that I feel like even in contemporary American parenting culture, we hear a lot of mixed messages about these very things, right? Like, should you compliment them? You shouldn't compliment them, compliment their actions and not them as a there's so much like cultural baggage around all of these ideas of uh how we should be expressing our feelings 
uh, yeah. toward our children. It's pretty, it seems pretty messy to me when I survey the landscape. So it's super messy. If I, if I can just share an example, there was a, I think a few years ago, I went with my kids, uh, with my family to Mexico. Um, and there were a lot of um, people from Central America, South America there as well. And at the time, I think I was reading something or like hearing about how when a child falls down, you should just stand back and let them like empower themselves by picking themselves up and not always running to them because like the, the theory is that if you do that, then they will be dependent and not, you know, be empowered by themselves and not learn to correct their mistakes and uh, get confidence. So even though that's not how I grew up, whenever like people always, you know, help it, like help each other get up, so to speak, where I grew up. But at the time I was trying to be like this hands-off just, so I remember a couple of times, like my child stumbled and like, they were totally fine, you know, just like trip. And then they're picking, they're standing up, they're getting up and I'm like, yeah, you know, you got it, you got it. And I remember like the stares I got from the families, not just moms, but the dads who were like from very, like the uh, cultures with like familismo, where, you know, you're like coddle the, the kids, right? You always were there to help them up. And they were looking at me like, oh my God, what is she doing? And then I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't, it's not so much shame. I was like, yeah, that actually doesn't really feel natural to me. I feel like I've always been the mom who would like pick up the child and like pick them up. <laughs> Hopefully I'll stop before they go to college by that time right but like pick them up and comfort them and and i feel like i've kind of reevaluated and i stopped doing that so now when they fall down i'm i'm there like i don't care if i'm messing them up um i'm just there to help them get up um and tell them it's going to be okay maybe a little too much i know that not everybody does that and that's just the way i do it but that's just what feels natural to me we've been talking about all these other sort of factors and influences, you know, what was done in our family of origin or, you know, what would have been done in the community where we grew up or the messages that we're receiving from the things we, we've read or the research we've done and like somewhere beneath all of that, right, are those things that just feel right to us at, in our relationship with our child, you know, the you and me between me and my child that exists, um, not apart from all of that, but it's its own dynamic. Right. But even if the research tells me that I shouldn't scoop her up when she falls down, or even if that's not what my mom would have done, or even if the people in the park are looking at me funny, sometimes we just do what feels right in the moment. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. And then that's actually a lot of the book and a lot of the people I spoke to there, you know, a lot of it is just picking and choosing, especially when in addition to all these often conflicting, you know, schools of parenting thought and, and advice, eventually we just pick and choose what we want to keep so there's always and on top of that there's a layer of like our own heritage but I think the tricky part is just deciding what you want to keep deciding what you don't want and that might take some time and some grace with ourselves and then we just figure out what feels right right or um I always I always carry with me the statement I read years ago before I was even a parent that said that you are the expert in parenting your child yeah right that it might not be even an innate knowledge, but it probably is the result of having spent so much intimate time with this other person. And we know them so deeply and hopefully we know ourselves. Um, and that is gonna inform how we interact with them beyond some, or in addition to, I suppose, some of these other cultural factors that keep me up at night. <laughs> yep. Um, so I don't wanna keep you too much longer, but I would love, to have you tell me to the extent that you feel comfortable a little bit about your kids. I would love to hear 
first something your kids do that really pushes your buttons. And then we can close by having you tell me something wonderful about your children. So something to do that pushes buttons. Um, Maybe not wearing shoes in the house. I know that's we- probably yeah, wearing. Yeah. And by the way, I have like multiple pairs of slippers for each one of them. I'm in Russian, they're called so, yes. Yeah. And the fact that they always lose them and they're like, well, I lost one. I don't know like where it went. So well, like you have two, like three other pairs here. So I guess that would, that would be the one. And the things I do wonderfully, I think they're just, um, they're really curious. And I think that all kids are curious. They're really curious about where their father is from, where I'm from. And they're learning it at their own pace. You know, they're learning the language of half of their family. And I think they're proud of it. They've learned to be proud of it. And it's not just language, it's the ability to connect to that part of the family, to speak to their grandparents, um, to hopefully one day visit my homeland, which they've never visited before, where they have so many family members there yet to meet. And they're really interested in that. Um, And I think just by virtue of being interested in my culture and heritage, they're interested in others as well. I think that just makes them, I don't know, like citizens, kind of potential citizens of the world um, who are open-minded, which... Again, it's just the benefit of speaking about language, but I think also the ability to be interested in general and curious. One other thing, actually, about my son, what I'm really proud of, he recently made a very delicious sandwich. He wanted to make us breakfast, so he like made this super crispy toast uh, with cream cheese and jam and some basil on top. I think some ketchup as well. It was, <laughs> I was proud of him too. That's awesome. I love that. um, It sounds wonderful. I was with you until the ketchup came in. I was like, I could eat this sandwich. And then I was like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) It was, it's, it's a very sophisticated sandwich. Yeah, it is. It it is getting used to a refined palate. Yeah. It's maybe just is um, above my, you know, experience level, but that's, that's wonderful. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much, Emily. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I'm so excited about the opportunity and I'm looking forward to reading your book when it's out and and helping put the word out there as well. Thank you. I appreciate the optimism that there will one day be a book. Definitely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think of the Children, featuring my guest, Masha Rumor. You can find more episodes and subscribe to my email newsletter at emilypopek, that's P-O-P-E-K dot com. Thanks and have a great day.